Welcome back, listeners, to episode number 47 of the BDU podcast. First off, I'd like to thank everyone for the support. Over on IG, we cracked 1,000 followers this week. As a token of appreciation, Jack will be giving away a brand new Tesla next week in his episode. So stay tuned for that. Mm. Secondly, I'd like to dive in to, <laughs> to a catch up to see what these boys have been up to. I know Lawrence has started his prep. So let's start off there. It's unbelievable from Jack. Like the generosity of this man is, it blows me away. Yeah. He loved mm-hmm. the Tesla so much. He had to just pass it on to one of the following listeners. Mm. I think the only, the, the only caveat though, is that you basically have to DM him, right? To basically put in like your request yeah. to be in mm. submission for it. So if you could just DM him just saying, Hey, I, you know, the reason as to why I'd like the Tesla, um, we'll be able to select that, that person. So 25 words or less. Yeah. And, ma- yeah. and make sure you screenshot the following BDU. So that way we obviously know that you're following it. Now there's as many entries as you want. So if you just want mm. to keep sending the photo as well, every single photo sent is an entry. Mm. Yeah. We'll have to just, I mean, Jack will have to be quite on top of it though, because it'll go to his requests because he only follows, I think three people. I think it's me, DC and the rock. So <laughs> anyone else you're going to go to his request, but give him like, four to five business days and he should get back to you. Well, it's only fair because I've been using the ad money or the ad revenue from BDU to uh, buy a new Tesla Model S anyway. So this is true. I think I'm winning here. (laughs) Oh dear. But yeah, no, uh, started prep last Friday. So yeah, we're just under a week in and so far so good. It's, uh, I don't know, I'm probably not... Like some days I don't weigh in because like I'm staying at Gemma's house and I still need to get into the routine of taking my scale there. So I'm going to need to get a little bit better with that. Um, But I definitely think that, you know, you can just see by not eating as much, you just sort of get that little bit tighter straight away. And I I don't know, the way I've been speaking about prep um, to a lot of people who have like asked that it's been starting and stuff is that I just kind of want it to happen in the background for these first like, 10 weeks or so um like if i can get to the 13 12 week out mark and go oh yeah like i'm prepping and i'm kind of lean now like that would be nice because i just don't want it to feel like it's my you know the only thing going on in my life for the next you know several months until we get to to worlds so i i'm obviously that doesn't mean i'm you know not hitting my numbers or not hitting my steps or like missing sessions but I just wanted to do the do in the background, tick the boxes, and then only really ramp up in terms of the amount of bandwidth it takes up when it needs to, because obviously there's still a lot I want to get done this year. And I just want to make sure I'm easing my way in. The first 10 weeks pretty much get served to you on a platter. So you don't want to make them more painful than they need to be. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that, you know, overall the last few weeks have just been about sort of devising a plan as far as training goes, you know, selecting movements that I'll be able to progress for a long time, even going into the dieted condition. So like, I want to have that consistency to keep pushing and keep trying to overload until we get to the point where, you know, training is kind of bad, which it should hopefully be a very long way away. Um, But yeah, it's good. You know, there's a bit of chatter about booking flights and organizing that stuff at the moment, which is exciting. So yeah, there's still obviously a long way to go and I'm just looking forward to seeing the changes and, and just being able to see the physique change each week. That's probably what I'm most excited for. You mentioned picking some of these big lifts that you're going to take through the entirety of the prep, which are they? 
Well, I've, I've been doing the RDL of late, which you wouldn't know about, DY, because I don't require your feedback on those. Um, no, <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't do them and don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Understandable. So I've, I'm going to go with the RDL. Like I thought running that long-term would be better from a fatigue standpoint rather than running the conventional deadlift as my main um, sort of hip hinge on dream prep, I thought that would be more viable as squat pattern at the moment. My knee has been bugging me at the moment. So I'm running the, the Watson hack, but I have got the incline quite a decent way back because my knee was annoying me a little bit, but that's feeling really good now. That's progressing nicely. And then the single leg Watson leg press that DC and I both like, I've been given that a, a red hot crack and I'm absolutely loving that. Like I'm mm, really, it's really, nice. Hey, do you, what, what, um, oh. what stance are you using on it? Do you use a relatively high stance, like a high foot stance? Yeah. Like I sort of, I try to put my toe like a, a couple inches below, like where the smooth part starts, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. So like it is probably a little bit adductory, which I don't mind because I'm happy to fill that in, but I do get quite a good quad stimulus as well. Um, but each week as my knee starts to feel better, I notice that I'm able to put a bit lower, which is good. So that's progressing really well. And I'll probably continue like a, a low incline Smith press and a the Watson machine overhead press, which that's pretty new at Southside. Have you tried that yet, DY? actually have i've been running it for about like three to four weeks now Mm. in the new program it took a little bit because you can actually change like the seat height and the actual like angle so i was like trying to like figure out the best way to do it um i was was practicing with like kind of like a dead stop where i'd go down like nearly all the way or like a centimeter off the bottom but it took a little bit of playing around but after i actually figured it out it was uh quite nice Mm, i agree no i'm really enjoying that so no all in all things are going really well i've um i've actually enjoyed like walking a little bit more lately i know that's not going to last forever the enjoyment aspect but i've been enjoying like having a bit more time on the treadmill to listen to podcasts or read books or something like that so so far so good um i did tell you the other day i felt a bit flat so we got zingers um on sunday (laughs) which i thought i needed just the flatness was out of control and they don't count towards calories right no no they don't exactly right you need to alleviate the flatness if you have one every week yeah, it's like your fish oil in the morning. If you have them every every week at the same time, it just doesn't matter. Don't account for it. It's fine. On my first two preps, I did have them every week, but it was like a stock standard. It was like on my high day after I saw Joe, it was like two zingers with no mayo every single time. And then I'm like, 10 weeks out, Joe's like, yeah, you're going to have to cut them out now. So like, like what we were talking about, Lawrence, like the first initial phase is cruisy, but then once the zingers have to go, it's just a fucking downhill spiral from there. Oh. Yeah, pretty much whole quality of life in the toilet. Yeah. Um, what about you, Jack? You got any news for us? Yeah, so I'm uh, starting a mini cut imminently this week and I'm looking forward to that, essentially. Like a healthy amount of looking forward to it. I'm not, I haven't been kind of really super excited because I want to enjoy every phase, but quite naturally given with how I've been feeling towards food like the last few months, pretty much start since the start of this year, it's it's going to be nice to get my appetite back and reduce my portion sizes. So calories have been slashed by quite a lot, about uh, about 1600. So I think just below 3000 on a on a rest day, and then like about 100 calories higher on a training day on a, a little bit over 3000 calories on a training day. So I'm sure I'll start to notice the appetite creep back quite quickly. And I'm noticing I'm predicting probably like roughly 
similar to last time, like five-ish kilos down in, in three weeks. So um, keen to see the results that have happened over these last eight-ish months, like particularly I personally, I've been prioritizing the the quads and chest a lot more. And since I have access to a lot of the rigs equipment now, just much better equipment compared to World Gym Brisbane for biasing quads, which um, is, has been awesome. And that's pretty much everything. I'm, I've had a chat to AJ today about putting some plans in place for the next gaining phase to incorporate maybe some cardio, which is is definitely something new for me, but I think that will be necessary just to help with the appetite and also help with some cardiovascular fitness once I start getting heavier. So that'll be a new, new phase. You just wanted to force down more food, didn't you? You were loving the food so much in that <laughs> off season that you just said, AJ, like I want 300, 300 cows worth of cardio every day just to get more in. Yeah. I need to reach that 1000 gram carb mark. It's only going yeah. to happen through cardio. Very nice. Jack, have you tried the, I can't remember who I was watching use it. It may have been Montana, the Nitro Nautilus leg extension at Riggs. I have used it. I tried to use it and I just wasn't as familiar with the setup for it compared to the Cybex. So I've been using the Cybex. Yeah. Hmm. Cause I just love everything Nautilus. I'd be interested. Have you used it yet? DC? Which one? Sorry. The Nautilus leg extension at Riggs? Uh, I don't believe I've used that before. No, no. The, the leg extension that they've got at the powerhouse is a Panada one, which is very nice. It's almost like its seat allows for a little bit of a divot between your legs. So it kind of, it has a really comfortable position for you to, to, to secure into. And the handles are at like the perfect height. I don't know if you boys notice, but some leg extensions, like the handles are a little bit like too close to you or perhaps mm. just a touch too far away. Like, these handles in this is like the perfect position for you to really lock yourself in. So, but I've not used those ones before. The Panada is fantastic, but I've not used the Watson before. I don't know about that, that said divot. I don't know about you, DY. It sounds like a waste of space for me. Just yeah. What's, yeah. I know. I, I walk in the gym and, I, and I, I see Lawrence on the hammer strength and I go, well, it's obviously the most optimal one of them all. So where do yeah. I go? I go the hammer strength as well. I've been training at 3am to avoid you actually, but. I saw someone sent I, in I like a meme that. to the BDU that popped up on, it was something about <laughs> when Lawrence sees DY on the pendulum or something like that. It was a good, yeah. a real feral meme. It was good. I, I, I think it was actually, <laughs> he actually sent it to me because he's one of my boys, but yeah, a good little laugh. Um, Jack, how did you go with your adductor? Is that causing any issues with any lifts or maybe how you had the injury in the groin? Yeah, I had a couple of things. Like I had the, groin injury which was a while ago now that's that's pretty much okay after seeing Lawrence and then I more recently I had a like a glute pain and unfortunately that's good enough where I can train now at 100% which is awesome still kind of hurts a little bit at times but yeah the what matters most is I'm back 100% in the gym which it's it's nice to be injury free very nice very nice all right you DC what have you been up to Mate, not a whole lot. I've probably been a little bit slow out of the gates in terms of this um this gaining phase after I ran that small sort of resynthesization phase, ran a very, very minor mini cut across a two-week span, lost a couple of kilos. Um, so I've actually just been my weight's been holding it around sort of the 92. I think I've just touched upon back up until the, the 93 uh this morning. But I've been a little bit slow and probably just because I've been so busy with competitors at the moment around this this time of year. So 
Um, not that I've been neglecting myself, but I probably could be a little bit more assertive to, to push things up uh, into this next phase. But training is, is at a, a great spot, man. Like my, my training's probably been in more of a flow state recently, having trained at powerhouse than, than probably anywhere really for, for the last sort of probably solid year. In fact, I just really enjoy that gym. I enjoy its layout. Like the, 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 the people there are all, you know, super chill. Um, the equipment's fantastic and I'm just in a really nice routine right now. So, and I've got some motivation back to progress a few lifts that I haven't touched for a while. So I think that's sort of accelerated my motivation to train as well recently. So yeah, things are in a good spot, man. Going full power builder with the uh, bench press in? The bench press, yes. I've so always that been, was moving I've, smoothly? I've, I've always been pretty, pretty good at bench. And um, so I thought, oh, you know what? If I run a couple of training blocks where I really provide a little bit more specificity to here, let's, you know, let's see where, where we can push these numbers. So I'm going to try and aim for 135 for a set of five pours this week. So we'll see. We'll see if we can hit that. Was I hit 130, 130 for a set of five last week. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we can up it by five this week. You just got to be careful though, because it isn't the most optimal chest movement. So you could lose mass mm. on it, even though you are progressing quite nicely and it works with you. Yeah. Like, you know, you could be doing a cable press around. And if you listen to Harney Rambold, you will tear your pec. Mm. Just 100%. a matter of time. 100%. Actually, um, that makes me think, did you guys watch that, that video of the guy that tore his pec on that incline bench? Oh, yeah. we, that the Larry one? Wheels? I you know what he was is... training with Larry Wheels and you yeah. can so... see every fiber of the yeah. pec from like the clavicular head just rip around. <laughs> oh, what do you think, DC? That one, maybe a tiny little grade one. Oh, he fully had like two reps in reserve as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what is so slept on in that video? Larry Wheels lifts like four plates off him just like casually and racks <laughs> yeah. it. And just like an absolute animal. Yeah. Insane. Fake plates. Yeah, that video, that was doing the rounds hard like last yeah. year. That was a, a very, very tough watch. I, I mean, I feel like there was a while like a few years ago where it was always like the leg press lockout videos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think like Mike and Charlie still get a hard time for like how they locked out on their leg presses. Yeah. But man, sometimes I think they're trying to do that. They're just like, wow, like straight in the knee. I'm like, sheesh. Even to me, I'm like, that looks a bit scary. That being said, it's like, you know, a lot of those injuries that you do see is stuff like they don't even know if they can do. Like, like when that guy's doing that incline press, he's shaking like a fucking leaf. Like you, I could visually look at it list and just be like, this is going to end horribly. Like, you know, I feel like before I go into a lift, I at least have like a decent inkling to know that, hey, this is actually going to move like decently or I actually have a chance. It almost looked like I have no chance absolutely at mm. all as this bar's descending on my neck. Well, it's not like an off the cuff thing where it's like, you know what? Yeah. Stuff it. I'm going to try a 200 kilo bench today. You know what? Yeah. Like whatever happens, what happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when people arm wrestle totally for the cool. first time in a while, like you're kind of asking for like a, a bicep tear. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, well, man, like a broken arm. Like people like legit snap their arms in half. Yeah. I refuse to arm wrestle. Especially if you try to arm wrestle me, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. You'd be getting that smoke. And th Don't worry, man. I know some good surgeons I can refer you to. <laughs> That, that's even the same with like Mike and stuff though. They've been doing that for so long. Like, yeah. like, they, like all the movements are controlled. Like, and I don't want to say that it's not that heavy, but with the amount of range of motion that they do, like you can't do like 10 plates, like 15 plates. Maybe they might, maybe Charlie might. He might mm. be awfully impressive, but it's like, you know, these guys have been doing that leg press for probably 20 years, like with good form. They know exactly how everything's going to feel before they even jump into snapping their knees backwards. 
Yeah. Just a quick sidebar. Did I don't know. I know that some of us listen to the Iron Culture. Did you hear about like, you know, the Sheffield? Did you guys hear about that big powerlifting meet? No. They had over the UK. I'm a little bit behind with their with their their potties. I need to get back. Man, back there's like SBD put on basically like the champions night of powerlifters, where it was essentially like they they sort of structured it differently, where it wasn't just about the best total, but it was like how much you could beat a world record by. And man, they were handing out some like pretty decent money as far as like strength sports go. And yeah, you just think like, man, it would just be so good for like a federation to get hold of that like in natty bodybuilding because it was sort of like uniting the clans per se like it would just be good to have like a bit of a bit of unity i think mm, for sure that, that would have been a good watch too because i guarantee there would have just been crap loads of just world records being smashed mm. too. like the guy i think is like jesus hell olivares or something from america like i think he set like the all-time like best total um for a, like a tested lifter he's like a heavyweight um yeah. and just yeah crazy how much those guys can lift yeah we actually got a question for you boys when you do your mini cuts mainly dc and jack i guess do you like to keep the program the same as what you've just been running in the off season or do you like to try and align a new program with the mini cut to like maybe make some changes to volume or anything like that no, I mean, I don't, I don't tend to change. I mean, sometimes when we implement something like a mini cut phase for an athlete, it doesn't coincide with when a new program block is started um, in terms of the timeline or, or the plan. So, you know, let's say for example, we're two weeks into a new program block and I think we're starting to push up towards sort of the high intervention point of where we might be, you know, viable to run a mini cut. I'm not necessarily waiting for sort of four weeks just to go, okay, hey, let's, you know, align this with the, with the block starter, I'm not going, you know, hey, let's cut the program short and just start a new one now. Let's only just run a two-week block. Like, I don't think a whole lot needs to change through the initial aspects of a diet phase, especially if you're implementing the mini cut for the purpose of the fact that you're, you're in a higher position with regards to your fat mass. Like, realistically, are you actually going to experience much degradation to training performance through the initial weeks of a diet phase? And if you are, you're probably approaching it pretty incorrectly. Like, either... The diet itself is excessively restrictive and, um, you know, power calories have been ripped down tremendously, or maybe you're somewhat mentally conditioning yourself to feel like shit too. You know, like if I go into a diet phase and I'm like, oh man, coach pulled my calories down by 800. Like I'm going to be so tired when I hit the gym. Uh, like, chances are you're probably conditioning yourself to feel pretty much like shit through your mini cut, right? Whereas if you would approach it as, hey, yes, I'm in a mini cut phase, but my carbs are still you know, very much an ample grams per kilo of body weight. Like I'm fine. I'll be sweet. Um, I think you'll, you'll, you know, nothing will really change through those initial weeks. So I guess as a long-winded answer there, nothing, I don't think any really, anything really changes through a mini cut phase. I think you can also like, you know, it also helps to maybe hold the lifts. Like if, you know, if you've been on that program for like three weeks, you've established some good lifts, like, you know, a good little foundation to then like, you know, as you go into the mini cut, try and hold those lifts. Like, you know, there's no reason, like, especially like you said, like if you're playing it decently conservative, not like absolutely thrashing yourself in terms of diet, why you should have like a huge strength drop off. Mm. And I guess they also, like, you also need to learn how to grind, right? So if every time dieting got a little bit difficult and you decided to pull volumes down, like, I mean, by the end of prep, you could rationalize doing no work, right? You could rationalize doing one set for all of your movements, uh, you know, really, is that going to be conducive of retaining lean tissue when perhaps 
the stimulus required to do so might actually be the same, if not, you know, maybe, maybe greater, you know what I mean? So, so um, I think something is said for just like getting in there and doing the work and just grinding for a bit, because <laughs> mm. like, that's a skill set you're going to use in prep, particularly towards the later, the later aspects when, you know, things are starting to get hard. So six weeks of dieting, eight weeks of dieting, like this is a breeze. This is a breeze. You shouldn't be out altering, altering anything. Yeah, I agree. Not much Whatever. to add. All right, let's dive into the listener questions and some of my questions mixed in there as well, obviously. First up, I've got Lawrence. How do you gauge the pro uh, progress in the off-season? You've obviously made tremendous progress this off-season. How did you gauge it? How did you go about it? Uh, yeah, I think, man, e even like, I don't know if you blokes get your clientele to do girth measurements. Like, I hate it. I hate getting that tape measure out. Do you guys do it for your people? Yeah, I do it just as like another metric, but like I don't yeah. really go off that metric too often unless it's like a weight loss client. Like, yeah, so yeah, Joey I, only looks at that. If my if I'm a centimeter down on my quad, triple the quad volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I just I'm like I'm measuring it, and I'm like I know that it's not going to be perfect each time. Part of the time, I'm like, look, I know this is adding to the picture, but I. I don't know, I'd probably just wish I didn't have to do it, but yeah, we have like the girth measurements and then we'll obviously track body weight, which I, you know, I tend to get a little bit slack in the off season with consistently weighing in. Um, but that is partly my bad. I think the biggest thing though uh, is going to be like the logbook, because I think at the end of the day, you will hit a point transitioning out of your comp season where you're going to just look okay. Like, you know, you, there's that first couple of weeks where you're still lean you're getting awesome pumps because you're training harder. You've got a bit more food in and you feel like a superhero. And then you get into that weird, like, I don't know, kind of, you know, you're not quite refilled all the way, but you're a little bit softer. So you look a bit crap for a few weeks. Maybe you're a Often bit you look worse before you look better out of coming out of prep. Cause you just put on body fat and you look super watery. Well, I think it's like two weeks of like really cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like a little bit of, of like good. crap. Yeah. And yeah. then crap. And then, okay. And it yeah, gets yeah. better. And then it's like, you kind of look fairly similar for the majority of your off season. Like, yes, you get a little bit bigger, but you're probably only seeing the true reflection of that muscle gain when you do a mini cut, like what Jack was saying earlier, how he's keen to see what the last eight or nine months have all been about. So I think there comes a point where it doesn't make sense for you to be assessing your physique in as the way that you primarily assess progress and i think that you need to be looking more so at your performance and your progressions obviously if you've got an experienced coach who has an eye that can see oh yes we're putting tissue on here 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 that's great but if you're someone who's doing your own training and maybe you don't have a coach i would say try and become less pedantic about assessing your check-in photos or maybe don't even take them every week and focus more on how your lifts are going up and Obviously, there's in there's the hidden assumption that you are progressing your lifts with reproducible technique and you know you're executing them to a high standard. But even though it's I know it's a bit of a broism, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but like, you know, where people say, okay, if you have a hundred kilo bench press in January and by October you're doing the same reps with 120, like there's not going to be too many people who are able to do that with the same execution that haven't put some muscle you know, on their chest and their delts. So I think there comes a point where you do need to make the logbook your primary um, source of information. Mm. I often say to a lot of my athletes, like in, in the, the contest prep phase, like you're a physique athlete, like in the off season phase, 
you're a performance athlete really. And I mean, regardless, like even you being in a, in a, in a contest prep, like you're still a performance athlete, you still have to perform very well. But I think that just helps to kind of reframe the mindset away from perhaps me fixating on my physique solely as a form of progression. And perhaps I need to fixate, like you said, more on the logbook to associate my progress from a week to week basis, because, you know, realistic, if my calories are getting driven up over time, plus I'm seeing some increased numbers across, across my months and blocks of training. I mean, how could you not, diff how could you not assume that there is going to be some lean tissue accrual within that, that time span? Um, so I think you're spot on there, man. Any of you boys use like a DEXA or anything to track your off-season progression? I know obviously it's not like a hundred percent, but Jack or DC? Not myself. I have had some athletes uh, jump jump on there just just as almost like a curiosity thing to be like, hey, I took my DEXA, you know, a year ago. Uh, I'd love to just see what it says for this particular year. And it's like, hey, yeah, sure. I mean, let's let's do it. I mean. There's even DEXA itself has like a standard deviation of error um, as most, most measurements would, um, but can give you a good sort of ballpark as to whether you've seen substantial change. And I do think that the longer you leave in between testing, the more, um, the more you'll be able to assess progress than perhaps if you took one every, you know, fortnight <laughs> or month or something like that. Like if you took one over the course of a six month to a year, you know, perhaps you'd get more of an, a better understanding as to the change. I personally think DEXs are a bit less useful for bodybuilders just because like they're so heavily influenced by water retention and glycogen because it counts it as lean body mass. So in a surplus, you obviously have much more of those factors in a deficit, you have much less. So therefore it kind of exacerbates muscle gain and muscle loss, which is a little frustrating. Mm. Especially, I guess, if you're in an ex extremely depleted state, because I think the only DEXs that I have gotten would be pretty much like contest week like one week out i think i've gotten on my first second show just to see how much i improved over the time but obviously they're not 100 percent accurate um yeah if you were to get it then in the off season with like full glycogen stores soft like it'd be completely different i came back as 10 percent body fat at 94 kilos so that's because you are wins. <laughs> yeah the gym that i used to work at back when i was PTing in sydney uh virgin active they had an in-body tracker, like an in-body scanner at their sort of PT reception desk. And like the amount of, the amount of um, you know, people I would see jump on that thing, like every single day, basically, like every day, some people would jump on it sort of a little bit you know, less frequent, but there were certainly people that would almost jump on it after every workout and be like, oh my God, I've gained a kilo. Like, what the hell? And just, <laughs> and I'd be sitting there like, oh God, here we go. Like, just get rid of that thing because people are yeah. overanalyzing it. And it's, it does more harm than good. So Yeah, it's it does so much more harm than good. The fixating on just the things that don't matter, like taking your in-body metric daily after a workout, whether you've like consumed various different quantities of food, hydrated more or less like so, so many variables that influence that metric right i think most gyms have them these days i remember i got one like three days out from prep it came up as like 1.5 percent. i was like yeah sick i'm ronnie coleman right now mm. you'll be totally bigger hey, but a peanut yeah <laughs> jack what's your thoughts on uh having two coaches maybe one doing the training side of things and then one doing like the nutritional side of things have you done that not me personally, but I have a handful of clients who use me for nutrition. I don't think anyone uses me exclusively for training, but makes sense given my my main qualifications. And I think it's it's worthwhile. Sometimes I think that it's 
very useful. Other times I think they might benefit from just having one coach because if you have one coach, everything's under the same roof and the coach knows exactly what's going on with training and nutrition, which is super beneficial. But if you can, if you honestly find a, a better coach for either training or nutrition, it might make sense to diversify. Or for example, like, I don't know if this counts as a coach, but if your current coach is trying to help you with rehab rehabilitation, but it's not in their scope of practice, then most certainly go get a different coach or, or a physio to help with, with that side of things. Speaking of that, we do have Lawrence here. Use Lawrence. Um. 10% to get 10% off your first initial uh, physio session. 100%. Yeah. One, uh, well, not, not 100%. Oh, damn. Now we've said it. All right, fine. The first one <laughs> three is Three sessions all around. Three <laughs> sessions all around. Lawrence, have you dealt much with that? Obviously, like, you know, if someone's doing a prep, like, have you taken care of their training side of things while someone else does their nutrition? I, look, I suppose I'm, well, I don't even know if I've spoken about it on the podcast, but I'm doing like a little bit of coaching at the moment. And the plan is to in the next couple of months, make it a little bit more official. Um, that can be the the title now. Huge announcement. Another online trainer. Here yeah. it is. Lawrence. I'm here to add to the noise. Saturating no, but... the market more so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just diluting that thing. Um, but yeah, there's like, there is someone who I'm helping out where, you know, he's a fairly experienced physique athlete. So he just takes care of his own nutrition and I just help him with his training and sort of sprinkle in a bit of injury management stuff. I think that, you know, it, it is a, a tricky thing to manage. You know, if, if I had someone who they were getting their macros set by like a fully fledged contest prep coach, I think if that coach also offers training and then, you know, that client was going out of their way to seek their training from someone else, I don't know. I could foresee that perhaps creating a bit of friction, but I think, you know, I almost compare it to like the multidisciplinary team within healthcare. Like, mm. you know, I don't feel offended that one of my patients is going to get help from a orthopedic surgeon because they have a scope of knowledge that is outside of what I can provide. So I think that as long as everyone can get on board with the fact that you're both essentially trying to do the same thing, which is bring about the best result for the client then I think it can be harmonious. Um, it's also probably a question of finances. Like, you know, if you're paying two people, you know, because your, your nutrition coach might say, oh, well, it's the same price, whether you want training or nutrition or both, you know, that's obviously a much bigger financial investment, but obviously that sort of comes down to the individual. I think one thing as well is like the communication between the coaches. Mm. Like if you're going to have one that's doing training and then one that's doing nutrition and then you're doing a prep, like you obviously want to make sure like, you know, in the peak week that things are going right. Like, you know, you don't want this guy, a powerlifting coach just absolutely thrashing this client that's one week out from stage. And then like, you know, you're sitting there trying to peak them with like bodybuilding nutrition and like a methodology that might work for that. So, you know, making sure that both of them are on the same page. But I guess it's a lot easier now because like, a lot of the coaches do both things like training and the nutrition mm. side of things. Mm. How do you feel when you have people that come to you for just, let's say like nutrition only, and they don't want any programming assistance? I normally like ask like what they're doing, like in terms of training, just in general, like, you know, maybe they might be seeing someone else. Like I have people that are outside of the scope for myself. So I just more or less might refer them to someone like Lawrence where they might take care of the training side of things. Cause they might have an injury and then I can just take care of the nutrition. But mm. I always want to make sure and like check, like I have had people do like F45 as well, which is like, you know, I'm like, you know, you can do what you want to do. If you enjoy that, I can take care of the nutrition, but I would more or less like set them set amount of classes for the week. But 
yeah, I'd, I'd probably dig in and ask a couple more questions. Maybe they're a powerlifter. You know, some people probably know more. It's like Aiden, when a lot of people go to like Aiden for the nutritional side of things for powerlifting, but they won't actually do the powerlifting coaching with him. He will get someone else to do like, yeah, mm. like Matt. Mm. I think it's so like, it's so context dependent, isn't it? But I think even if you're doing just nutrition only in terms of coaching, you probably do want to ask those questions around like what, what their plan is in, in terms of plan of attack when it comes to training, because like there have been times where I've had someone apply for nutritional coaching and, you know, through the onboarding process, find out a little bit more about their training and their training is pretty, pretty lackluster to put it in, you know, no, no better, no better way of putting it basically. So it's like, okay, well, look, we could do nutrition only, but you know, here are maybe some things that we might need to consider if, if the, I mean, what's the ultimate goal? It's like, okay, my goal is one of, you know, I want to win pro card or an open class or something like that. It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe we need to reassess this, this aspect as well. And perhaps training coaching might be. A Can solution. I do that while doing F45? Is that what you're telling me DC with your nutritional advice and F45 classes? I can win this natty pro card. Maybe in men's bikini. Cause, cause you also had someone. <laughs> <laughs> funny uh you also had one dc that was doing mma wasn't it or some sort of fighting i remember you were taking care of his nutrition i believe yeah yeah he does bjj but he's not a bodybuilder he just yeah yeah just does bjj yeah i guess that's another instance where like you know you would take care of their like nutrition their weight cutting strategies because uh i don't know maybe you might be a bjj expert yourself but if they came to me i definitely wouldn't be touching any um any recommendations in terms of bjj well, that's what I mean. Like you need to find out the intended goal, you know? Yeah. So like, just like I said, if someone said to me, Hey, my ultimate goal is to win a pro card on stage as a bodybuilder, but this is my training plan. Then I'm like, okay, cool. You know, that's fine. But Hey, this is where things may be, may be lacking. Like this is where we could take things, but yes, no, absolutely. When he came to me saying, Hey, you know, can we do nutrition? I mean, he actually does t- training with me as well. Cause I do his strength programming uh, for BJJ as well. But um you know, we, it's, it's always about finding out the intent, intended goal at the end of the day, right? So if you're, as a coach, wanting to maximize someone's result specifically for bodybuilding, you probably want to find out that their training is adequate for sure. Yeah, 100%. On the topic of fighting, now, oh, D1 just went cross-eye there. No, there was, a fly, there was a fly on me hat and, you know, geez. it was distracting me. Yeah. At, well, at, oh, you'll know, D1, at Powerhouse, when you're in the leg room, I know you don't spend much time there, but when you are in there... <laughs> Actually, you know, that little bit by the boxing ring, mm-hmm. not unusual to see a few hands getting thrown, a bit of combat. Today, yeah, yeah. when I was training legs, there was a guy there and he was fighting with a sword. Like he was getting taught how to fight with a sword, like a swashbuckling pirate. And I thought not, myself- not a fencing sword, like an actual- like No, like a, like a pirate sword. Wow. Uh, yeah. And I was like- I thought you were talking about a sword that wasn't in the hands. I was a bit concerned. Yeah, no, this was far too big to be a sort of that nature <laughs> from my experience. Um, but I was like, if this guy comes at me next week, we all four of us might need to pull up with the swords in hand. Yeah, we used to a little got, bit ill-prepared. Like, so I can give one to, oh wait, yeah. we all have swords. So. We yeah. all have one, yeah. Jack like Lawrence, if you don't have a lightsaber in your backpack in the gym locker room, I think that you're just ill-prepared for any gym session. Yeah, like, Lawrence, you never I... know when it's going to have to come down where someone yeah. takes your Cybex hack and you're going to cut their knees off straight then and there yeah, like, i would have thought lawrence that would have been like an instant instant thought of like hey is this guy trying to duel me like and you would have just pulled the lightsaber ready ready in hand out of the bag and just gone storming into the in there as if you're gonna fight freaking darth vader don't try it this is my fucking hack squat ah, ah. i have the high ground 
Yeah, straight up. But no, I thought that was very interesting. Not a, not a common sight for a gym, but one that I enjoyed nonetheless. Perfect. I'll bring my swords in next week and we can go, Lawrence, every Wednesday from now on. Perfect. I look forward to it. All right, DC, what goes through your mind during a very, very tough set, the uh, listener asked? Not just a very tough set, a very, very hard one. I don't think a whole lot goes through my head like in, like in, in an actual set. I can understand, you know, positive self-talk, maybe using imagine, you know, imagination and things like that, approaching a set. And I think all those tools are very, very powerful. But in the middle of a set, I mean, I'm trying to think of like what I'm thinking during the middle of like a heavy pendulum or something like that. I don't, I don't think I'm actually thinking a lot. I think I'm just thinking about movement execution. So how am I... Like how am I controlling my eccentric phase? Like upon the, you know, upon the the hamstrings hitting the calves, like amid my bottom range. Okay, I need to explosively push from here. Like I'm sort of, I'm almost attentive to what each repetition needs to feel like uh, throughout my set. So I'm not, but I don't actually recall moments where I'm like, come on, man, you've got one more. Like I'm sure I, I probably have those internal dialogues, but um, I'm not really having like a full-blown conversation with myself or anything like that. Do you have like know, a number I'm, in your head I'm at all? Somewhat in a, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll go into a set with a number. Absolutely. I've in like in the logbook, I'll know what I want to hit with that particular load. Um, so if anything, what, what I'm thinking is probably what, what rep number I'm up to. Right. <laughs> um, which like, like most people, you're like seven and then like you do two more reps, you're like seven. <laughs> you almost forget your reps. You re-record yourself. You're like, hang on. I cut my rep short by like two. What the hell? Yeah. I think a lot of mine is like what you said, DC, like, you know, you want to obviously make sure the form's good. Like, you know, everything's flowing how it should, but then I also normally have a number in my head, like something that maybe one rep up from last week. So in that way, I'm always like trying to gauge progress, but like, obviously if it feels really easy by the time I get there, I might push out an extra one, but I don't know. I think the driving for progression is something that goes through my mind, like a lot during that set. Like, you know, I really want to progress. I have that number in my mind and, you know, I normally, always try and score that number mm. like i know for example um tiara, tiara right she has like a lot of internal dialogue like while she's in the middle of a set um and some people some people need that like they they need that as a means to sort An of push external through, I guess. dialogue i'll say yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people internalize it maybe they have that sort of internal voice telling them to do more reps um some people just count the numbers like i think there's probably certain points in a set where maybe I think, and I have that internal dialogue, like, come on, man, you've got like three more to go. Um, but maybe they're only towards the end of a set or something like that, you know? And then there's some movements where I don't recall having that internal thought where I'm like, come on, man, you can do like three more. Let's do it. What about you, Lawrence? Anything, Dad? Awfully quiet. Just just the fuel of my haters preying on my downfall. <laughs> That's It just drives me, man. <laughs> I'm just joking. That could be my ultimate pet peeve on social media. When people think they've just got like schools of people who hope they fail, but no, I, I think I agree about them though. That's yeah, it's like, bro, chill out. You got a hundred followers. What are we doing? Um, <laughs> no, I would say that I'm probably quite similar. Like sometimes I don't know if you guys have this. Like you almost have this like out of body experience in a, you're in set a flow where, state, like, right? That's what yeah. It is. Like, like you're, you're almost aware that you're thinking about nothing. And you're just like, you're aware of your focus on the set from like a third person. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but. It's literally honestly, called a, a flow state. That's like, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. You're in it. You're in a flow state, like a psychological yeah. flow state. It's like people get in a flow state when they're like runners, you know, like they're running and they're not really thinking of a whole lot. They're just like, mm. the legs are moving. They're present in the moment going through 
the the motion of running you know mm. uh, at the intended speed and sort of similar with, with 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 training i think you get in that sort of flow state in the set where you may actually not really be thinking a whole lot about much mm. other than just simply being present is the rep feeling great you're sort of feeling the eccentric phase of the movement you know powering through the concentric and then maybe you like temporarily take yourself out of that flow state to think oh i've got you know three more reps come on you've got this and then you like flick straight back into that flow state again you like finish your set off yeah but I, and I also think it like it depends on the lift for like for obviously something like like i'm feeling really in the groove now like those leg presses for example like they're feeling fantastic like i had a set of 20 today and i felt myself just sort of go into that that phase where like my leg was moving the set was getting harder but like i wasn't really thinking about anything whereas something like an rdl where I still am needing to work quite hard to find my stride. You know, I'm actively thinking, okay, like upper back tightness, hips back, pause at the bottom. Like I'm still very aware of the technique cues that I need. Whereas someone who's been doing that for a very long time probably gets into the flow state with an exercise like that because mechanically they've just got it down pat and like they've built up that to that point neurally as well, where it is just like a, a really reproducible movement. So I think it depends on the exercise, but I think it's, it's very tempting when you see people, especially on social media. And I got, I fell into this trap for a while where you see how people train, you see how much like gusto they put into it and you go, Oh, well, I've got to train like that. Like if you watch like JP and Corin train, or even like, you know, AJ and Keefe to a certain extent like you see them getting really hyped up and like really like got a lot of this preset aggression whereas that is also like they're probably only doing that for one set out of a session because if you try to do that for every set you are going to be absolutely cooked by the end like you're going to be absolutely ruined and like what do we always talk about on this podcast is like the best way to be a good bodybuilder is to do it for a very long time and that's not a sustainable way to train you know what I mean if you're getting hyped up like that for every single set of every single workout for like 20 to 30 years, whew, that's going to be one cooked individual. Just pulling you're not insane at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. you probably be insane. Dude, well, yeah. even like JP, like, I mean, I don't think he's ever mentioned it specifically, but he used to talk about that, like for certain sets, he would need to take himself to this point where he's thinking about like some incredibly dark stuff. And like, I mean, personally, I don't even know what, that would be like, I don't know if you're thinking about like family members dying or something like that, but I certainly think like psychologically, that's not a place you want to be just for that extra. It's interesting that he listens to a lot of what Hans Zimmer and stuff in his sessions. Probably like, listen, yeah. listens like Elton John. Music. Yeah. Music or something. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but then again, I also don't do any very, very hard sets. So I'm probably not yeah. the best one to ask. Yeah. I saw, I saw you there on one of your first prep leg days this last week that just went by. What was it on the Sunday? And there was at least a five RIR on those mm. leg extensions. I didn't want to say anything, but now you put me on the spot and you've actually asked me what I thought of that set. Yeah. No, I was trying to, I was trying to impress, impress Matt. He was next yeah. door on the leg extension. Yeah, you, could, you couldn't do more than him. He, he might've been in a bit of trouble. hundred percent. All right, Lawrence, who do you think the greatest athlete of all time is? Now, I know this is going to be very different. There's so many different sports, stuff like this. this is a question that I asked on my uh, Instagram feed, and I got a lot of different answers, but you mm. mentioned one man in particular. Who, who, do you, who do you think the greatest athlete of all time is? Uh, 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 Goat James, D.Y., <laughs> Goat James. No, I think, I think there's, like, different categories within this argument. Like, you could, you could think about, like, pure dominance like you could think about just dominance where then like maybe you think of someone like usain bolt 
or Michael Phelps or Serena Williams, where like for a period of time, they were just untouchable. Like they were so much better than the next best person. And then you could think about like pure, like, you know, almost like mentality. And that's where maybe you're like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or something like that. But I think if you had to average it out across the board, thinking not only about like athletic achievements and also about like, global impact and like impact socially i think lebron james would be in the answer like the dude has a school like he built a school like for goodness sake like that's crazy and also the reason why i think lebron is such an impressive story is because he came out of high school and went straight into the league and like when he was in high school he was on sports illustrated covers where people were calling him the chosen one like he was at easily and probably will forever be like the athlete that went into the NBA or any professional sport for that matter with the most hype possible. Like people were essentially saying, if this dude is not the next Michael Jordan, he's a bust. And, you know, some would argue he's the greatest of all time. You know what I mean? So for me, it's LeBron. Yeah. What about you, Jack? Do you have an athlete that you look quite highly to that maybe not be a bodybuilder? It's a good question. Not really, to be honest. I think I get inspired by watching other people play sport. I really enjoyed the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, but I don't think I resonate enough with other sports to actually become inspired by any other athletes to a significant extent. What about bodybuilding enhanced? I feel like there's like only one or two names that could probably be mentioned there. (laughs) Really? I reckon, what do you think, Lawrence? I reckon like Ronnie Coleman would definitely have to be one, like extremely dominant. Yeah, I think I think Arnie still has has it over pretty much everyone, right? I mean, the guy has got an entire I think with the entire influence that that he's had globally, I think is quite huge as well. But Mm. I think that for me, it's like, I think Ronnie is the GOAT of modern bodybuilding. You almost like, it's impossible to compare, like how are you going to stand Arnold next to Ronnie on stage? But like, for me, I think Ronnie is the GOAT, but I personally like Phil Heath's physique more. Yeah. I think Phil Heath at like his absolute peak is probably like a physique that you could not look past. That's what I think, yeah. yeah. I think it's so based on on at the time, right? Because then you've also got like Lee Haney who also won eight 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 sound out sound hours as well, right? So defeated, I believe, too. Yeah. So I mean in terms of in, in the impressiveness feat of that, like he I'm pretty sure he he won them eight consecutively, right? Eight Ronnie won won them eight, but it wasn't consecutive. Not to t- take that away from him at all, because what he did was is a crap career. Absolutely immense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's so hard to like put one person in a finite division of like the athlete of the yeah. century, you know. So there's I, so many to choose from. Like you can yeah. like what about like uh, Muhammad Ali? like someone like that leo messi you know there's just so many options la you know as well yeah yeah yeah. it's so hard because then even within that there's the argument of like eras because like i mean i'm i'm a pretty big football fan and like even within football there's like the people who would argue that like ronaldo and messi are a lot better than pele because yes pele scored about a gazillion goals but like (laughs) you know he's playing against like peruvian farmers you know what I mean? Whereas like <laughs> Messi and Ronaldo yeah. are playing against like 21st century athletes. And that's me being a bit facetious. Um, but it's so hard. Like even some of the guys from the NBA from back in the day, like the level of like the average, the level of the average player back then was so much lower than yeah. it is now. 
just over time, like everything's just increased, like the level of player, the, just the sport in general, you know, obviously like scientific research comes out, like, you know, now you got dietitians managing entire sporting teams where maybe back then it never, ever happened. It was like, you know, mm. Hey, smash a Gatorade while you're training, you know, yeah. Yeah, like having caffeine, you're having this beetroot juice, like, you know, all this, all this yeah. stuff before you even play a soccer match. But if you're thinking like athlete as well, like more globally, I've also heard people like make the argument, like someone like Bo Jackson, who played professional major league baseball and played professionally in the NFL. So like mm. to reach the pinnacle of two sports like that, or then you could say like, you know, what about Matt Fraser or Rich Froning? Like essentially the fittest man alive and they won like mot- multiple CrossFit games. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, one, one that I always liked is like Michael Phelps, someone that was mm. extremely dominant from such a young age. Obviously, DC being a swimmer here, he was, you, you were nearly compared to him, weren't you, DC, Michael Phelps? Mm. Yeah, 39 world records. In terms of how much I could eat as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> DC, I think I remember when I had you on my podcast, you said, and I quote, people called me the Australian Michael Phelps. That's, I think, what you said word for word. Let's go with it, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Um, all right, let's jump on to the next question. Do you think social media plays a part in placings? Now, me personally, I don't think it's going to play. I haven't seen it play a part in any ICN, um, personally, or like IMBA, but I know social media does play a part in like the WBFF side of things. Like it's a lot about like the personality of the individual, the marketability. Now, I'm not 100% sure about the IFBB as well. I think there is some stuff that I have heard some things that, you know, people don't turn up to certain shows to do guest posing as a pro level athlete. And then they might get knocked down a little bit in terms of results. I don't know how much that is true, but I personally haven't seen it in many natural feds, like any bias towards a social media presence. Now, maybe if you're looking at judges, maybe on the judging panel, there's other influences, but social media in general, I don't think anything maybe apart from WBFF. You boys seen anything that looked really suspicious? Not really. I mean, it's, I feel like when you, when you start getting that position where you start thinking that the results are depicted by additional variables such as that, I think it can kind of, can kind of just, it kind of like taints your, your vision of, of perhaps the true results. You know what I mean? Like um, I feel like we can start to rationalize reasons as to why someone may not place well, like, you know, someone doesn't place first and it's like, Oh, they just didn't have the extra thousand followers or something like that, you know? And it's like, well, I mean, is that actually the case? Or is that just my, yeah, am I, am I just viewing it through my glasses or my lens? You know, like, mm. is that actually the truly the reason? <clears throat> um, so I personally have not, I've not seen or experienced anything in that matter in terms of IFBB, uh, ICN, NBA, WNBF. Like I've never seen that be a, an apparent thing because you see people win who don't even have Instagram. Like, and then you see people yeah. who do, who have thousands of followers. So there's no consistency there with regards to you know certain athletes being awarded um, placings based on you know their instagram follower or things like that um so yeah i mean that's my thoughts like i don't think it plays a role i feel like half the natural feds you don't even know the overall winner they just come out of the blue like yeah exactly well, that's it like, like you know and, and even the announcements with regards to like who who you know there, there was the um 
the the, the ICN uh, show on, on the weekend, North, North Coast Classic. Like, I mean, I was struggling to find out who won the divisions. Nothing was even posted online. So, you know, if social media was that important, like those things would be so heavily promoted by something, someone like ICN, you know, in terms of the winners. Like I would, you would still struggle to figure out who won some of the divisions because they weren't even posted. There was not even stories about it. So it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it does depend on the lens that you look through. Like if you look through a lens of, oh, they decide it based on social media, then anyone who remotely has a social media following, you're going to think, okay, they won it because of that versus because they were the better competitor on the day. I think other influences would influence it more than social media too. Like maybe knowing a judge or like, I'm not saying that I've seen it personally, but like obviously having a judge that's coaching you or something like that is definitely something that's probably going to play a bigger influence than just a couple of thousand social media followers. Mm. Like I said, like a lot of the bodybuilders, like Shane Little, he didn't even post a single post and comes in, wins his pro card and does all that. Like not saying that DC Mm. didn't have an astronomical amount of followers, but like, you know, like sub 5,000 when he won his overall and so on like that. So like a lot of the people just come out of the blue and uh, take, take the win. Yeah. I think in the natural feds, that's probably what you hear more about is like, people complaining that certain coaching teams get favored. And I've even heard like, I don't know, I've spoken to a few people over the years who they're just like, oh, like they, they coach competitors and they just, they don't do the ICN shows because they've got this, you know, notion that, oh, ICN just doesn't like me. They never reward my competitors. But like, I'm, I'm yet to speak to someone who has said that and look at their competitors and go, oh yeah, you're right. Like this person should be like winning the overall, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a, a bit of a defeatist mindset to like blame in essence politics for not seeing the results that you want to see. Like, I think it probably does, you know, and maybe there are some instances where there's like bad blood and it's a really egregious example of it. I'm not aware of any, but I think in most cases it probably comes down to people just wanting to shift the the blame off their own ability. And saying that we've all won overall, so... Yeah, I mean, I thought... And all of us have under 5,000. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed with every decision. <laughs> Best $500 I've ever spent to the judging panel. <laughs> I'm joking. Of 500? They, man, I only had to pay 250 Wait, Wait, you're meant to tip the judges, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thanking them for their hard work. Yeah, just that bottle of Jack that's sitting on their desk. Thanks, mate. Just signed with a big DY signature. <laughs> Number 48 right next to it. Perfect. Um, we touched on it slightly before F45 um, training for hypertrophy. What do you think, DC? I mean, I I don't think it's I don't think it's ideal. <laughs> I don't think it's ideal. I mean, I this is a good this, progressive this is a, overload. The this F45. Is a, yeah, this is a good topic to talk about actually because this really uh, starts to discuss like the the like concurrent training and basically like the interference effects. So. And this is something that's been documented in literature where, you know, athletes will perform or, or sub subjects will perform uh, a concurrent style training regime where they'll do something like aerobic style training and, you know, strength training and basically look at, you know, a control group and, and or a group where, for example, they'll only perform resistance training and another group that will perform both bouts and see the, the changes to, you know, muscular hypertrophy, muscular thickness uh, across multiple sites. And I think the, the literature on this is is pretty mixed. So some studies do show that, you know, basically including vast amounts of aerobic training uh, influences or reduces um, muscular hypertrophy gains. And then there's other studies that don't seem to report the same 
the same degree. But I think it's so dependent on, I mean, how, how much are we leaning one way versus the other? You know, so if I'm, for example, doing my five sessions of strength training per week, and then I'm also doing one F4, five class on a weekend for its aerobic benefit, then I don't, I don't see that as being a huge detriment to one's results when it comes to uh, like bodybuilding. But if someone's performing, you know, four, five sessions per week and one strength session per week in the gym with the goal set that they're wanting to maximize muscular hypertrophy, I don't think that's a, a solid solution because like the rule of specificity is, is a thing. <laughs> so there's so many different bodily adaptations that, uh, as a result of training, both anaerobic and you know aerobic. And if we're training one energy system a little bit more than the other, then we're going to get specific adaptations to those imposed demands. So, you know, I think about it from the perspective of like F4, 5, where often these, these exercises are like stations and you're moving through these stations with a time component, might be like 45 seconds on, you know, 15 seconds off. Uh, you might be using a very sub-maximal weight. So it's, a, you know, a lighter weight that you're just pumping out reps for. Uh, it might be things like box jumps, which, you know, you're not really loading the full range of motion, you're loading uh, the power-based movement. So that initial rate of force development as you jump off onto the box and then you kind of just, you know, stepping down. So that's, you're not really, you're kind of going against principles to maximize hypertrophy, right? Creating great degrees of me mechanical tension through a large range of motion. So personally, I don't think F4-5 is a fantastic solution for hypertrophy. And, you know, if you went to a you know, a bodybuilder, top, top tier bodybuilder, and you ask them what their training regime looks like, I would be hard pressed to, to see someone like list F4, 5 in that plan. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't think it's ideal. I don't How think, do you think Nick Walker got so big. He was running F45 classes six days a week. Mm, for sure. That, but that like, I mean, you look at, for example, like a, a crossfitting athlete. I mean, yes, these guys are, these guys and girls are performing uh, large degrees of aerobic training, but they're also lifting some damn heavy weights, right? So that's a great example of concurrent training kind of done well because they have they have blocks of training that are specific towards hypertrophy. They do have blocks of training that are specific to strength, strength work. They do include a concurrent style training regime where they'll have multiple modalities of training within the same block. So there's an aerobic component, a strength component, a, you know, a, a, um, stability component, like, you know, like there's, there's various different periodization methods included with, with top tier CrossFit athletes. Um, but if you look at something like F45 style training, it's a generalized class applied to the masses. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think for the specificity of bodybuilding and hypertrophy training, not really ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. That. I also find the issue with F45 is a lot of the sessions are just different from session to session. So it's not like you can really apply the principle of like the progressive overload overload over multiple sessions. Another thing is like, they also have like, like none of the movements are really like specific to you. Like they might have a tiny little bar sitting there and it's 40 kgs on the ground. And like, that's all you're going to be able to do for like a bent over row. So it's like, it's very stock standard. It's like, there's really nowhere that's fine to go for you from that. Yeah, well, I don't go over anywhere apart from like 60 kilos is my absolute cap. And you go oh, any further and, room, I thought. and then my waist gets thick and then it's all it's all over from there. <laughs> nah, but no, nah, very well said. Um, to play one devil's last... advocate, the probably the only way you're going to make like actually like probably noticeable gains from something like F45 is if you're a, a beginner. 
because at yeah. that point you could do anything. And also I thought that, you know, our legal team has been doing a lot of work with DC and he was very clever by saying F45 instead of F45. And that way we avoid any litigation, which is likely to come our way. So yeah, I just thought that was expertly negotiated DC. Mm. In this very PC world, you've, you've mm. got to be, man. Absolutely. I do think F45 has its place for like those beginners, like starting out, they want like that group atmosphere to get them kick started. But like, if you're looking to really maximize hypertrophy, I, I think there's probably definitely better ways. Why not with one of us? Yeah. yeah. Cheeky plug. All right. We'll go with this one last question. A quick one. Um, Jack, do you count the weight on the bar or the bar plus the weight? So like if you're doing a bench press, for example, do you count the 20 kilo bar? What about the weight of the emotions you're holding on your shoulder at the same time? Do you count that too? Yes. And I also count the weight of my body because if I'm doing a squat, then technically I'm squatting my body weight as well. <laughs> I'm, not sure if you're I'm not sure if you're joking or not because that could be very serious for a lot of people. I'm going to see all my program spreadsheets filled out now. Like you need to clear this up now because it's going to be like 80 kilos plus 120 <laughs> from now on. This is actually a good question though, right? Because like the standardization of how you count things. So yeah. sorry to interrupt you, Jack. That's okay. Well, I was done with my answer, but you do raise a good point. So essentially, I think whatever, essentially it doesn't matter, like whatever you can track consistently. I think for barbell related movements, it totally makes sense to count the bar because it's a load and you're lifting that load. And for machines though, I'll just, for my own sort of tracking, I'll just reference the most easiest method that I can use to remember it week to week or to track it. So for example, if something's in pounds, I'll just track it in pounds. I won't bother converting that to kilos. If something's in kilos, I'll obviously keep it there. But you know how some of those machines these days, they'll, they'll convert it from pounds to kilos and it'll be like 76.3. Like I just use the pounds. So it's a nice round number. Same with leg press as well. Like I can't be bothered remembering how much the sleds weigh each time I use a different leg press. So I'm just going to be tracking the total amount of load I put on that leg press. I think for me, like one of the things is just keeping it standard. So if I'm like tracking like X amount of weight on the leg press without the sled, I'll just keep that the exact same for like every single lift. I'm doing a Smith machine bench press, for example. I don't know if that bar's 20 kilos. You drop that thing from the top and it takes five seconds to hit the bottom. That that don't drop like no normal 20 kilo uh, barbell. That's a well-oiled so, machine right there. Yeah, that's a well-oiled uh, hammer strength Smith. Nah, so then I'll just count like the weight on the end for those. So I, I, I don't think it honestly matters whichever way you want to go about it, but just make sure you keep your tracking of the lifts standard each week. Mm, I think that even applies for like the, the exercise as well, right? So for example, if you're doing something like a dumbbell Romanian deadlift for two dumbbells, you know, often I'll, I'll have questions around, do I track the total weight that I used for both dumbbells or just count the weight from the single dumbbell? And I think either ve- either either method is completely fine. It's just like, as long as you're standard with your approach, I think is the most important thing. Very nice. I think that wraps up another episode of the BDU podcast. Don't forget listeners to send your screenshots of your follows to Jack. He'll uh, message yes, you all individually to know that you know your application has been accepted into the raffle and remember unlimited messages too so you just keep sending them screenshots gets you more and more entries you've already sent me a million that. though so i mean you're <laughs> yeah. kind of, people have got to go i've, I've got a head start like everyone that hasn't been doing it already on the podcast has missed out thank you all for listening to listeners catch you next week